Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Aoife and this is episode number 16 where I will be chatting to the one and only glute guy Mr. Brett Contreras. Before we begin I wanted to say thank you so much for joining me and listening to the show. If you're new here welcome. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Each week, I'll be discussing a different topic or strategy in relation to fitness and nutrition with the aim of helping you to understand how to eat and train effectively for results without resorting to fad dieting. If you love what you hear in today's episode, please feel free to tell your friends about it or even take a screenshot and share it to Instagram by tagging me at ActivelyEva. You can tag the podcast at EmpowerHer.Fitness and you can also tag Brett at BrettContreras1. So most of you might know who Brett Contreras is, or at least know of, or maybe be using the hip thrust in your training, which is the lift he invented. But in case you don't, here's a little summary of who he is and what to expect on the episode. Brett Contreras had his, has his PhD in sports science and is a certified strength and conditioning specialist with over 20 years experience as a personal trainer. He also has a state-of-the-art gym in California called the Glute Lab, where he trains many clients and physique competitors. He's also written a book called The Glute Lab, which covers the art and science of strength and physique training. I actually have that book here on my bookshelf, and I found it to be fantastic. Uh, When I caught up with Brett for this interview, he had just an hour to chat between clients, so we haven't gone into every topic in huge detail, but we have discussed recording another episode in the future. Our chat covered many topics ranging from Brett's experience with the not-so-great aspects of being big on social media, the story behind the hip thrust invention, his advice for beginners doing the barbell hip thrust for the first time, He also talked through a few case studies of clients he's worked with and what has or hasn't worked for them in regards to glute development. And he also covered how to address various glute imbalances. And finally, he let us know what he considers to be the most underrated glute exercise. And if you listen all the way to the end, you'll hear a great little story about how he transitioned from originally studying education in university to sports science, thanks to one of his lecturers, without whom he would probably have never gotten to where he is now and never invented the hip thrust. So if you're like me and love to hear about how people find their true north in terms of careers, you'll love that story. And we finished the chat off with a little about both our backgrounds in education and how that has helped us to become better coaches by setting our clients up with the knowledge they need to succeed on their own. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. Thanks so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Aoife. Thanks for having me. Well done on getting the name right. (laughs) As I was saying before um, we started recording, I reached out to you years and years ago on Instagram and sent you a DM and I was so surprised that you actually responded to people and you sent me a video back explaining I had some question about hip thrust and we were just chatting about how you used to respond to lots of DMs back then but nowadays obviously with you being so big on Instagram it's probably not something you can really do that much. You know I I prided myself for so many years and then it it's so hard to break free of that because um you know, like I, I never want to be like. There's a lot of trainers that get very big egos in our industry, and I'm like, come on, you're you're a trainer, you're a coach, and some now now the influencers and seeing some of their egos, it's like, ugh, cringy, you know. So I never want to become inaccessible, and I want to be able to like people to get a hold of me. But you do get to a point where, so it was during quarantine, like no one had anything to do. It's like my DMs like doubled. During that first week of the quarantine, I remember starting responding to DMs at like, it was like, I don't know, seven o'clock PM. And by midnight, I still wasn't done. And I'm like, you know, this was every day. Imagine doing five hours of, I wouldn't say it's pro bono because I'm re- I'm sharing people's posts. And I mean, you know, a lot of people are asking about my, they're like asking about my products and my services and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's too much. Like it's, you can't, you can't on five hours a day. It was, it was, and I remember I counted, I think I had uh, 44 per hour in my regular and about 44 per hour in my 
the un whatever the one like the the other folder you know like that's like 88 88 per hour it's like uh like over 2000 messages a day that i'm trying to respond to. and i'm fast you should see me i'm like oh i don't dwell i don't it's like this would be best typed out this i'll do a voice message this i'll do a video message um uh, i'm like a machine with responding to dms but it got to a point where i i couldn't keep up and i would i would fall asleep with like my phone falling on me and then i'd wake up and I'd wake up feeling guilty and I'd still try to respond in the middle of the night. And I'm like, ah, this is out of control. I guess that's also like a little bit of the struggle with social media these days, you know, that people just spend so much time on it and everyone is so accessible, but also like, I guess the positive then from it is that, you know, people like yourself are that bit more accessible and you provide so much great information and great content for people that, you know, they can learn so much about the world of glute training that obviously wasn't accessible previously. I mean, that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on how, <laughs> how things have changed and the, the, the good and the bad associated, associated with how much things have changed, but it's just crazy. It's a whole different world out there, you know? Yeah, a topic for another time. I think uh, today's topic anyway, as everyone can expect, is going to be all about glutes. And I wanted to start off with um, having you share the story of how you invented the hip thrust. Just for anyone that's been living under a rock and doesn't know the story of Brett Contreras, uh, can you give us a little um, insight into what you've done and what you've created? Well, I think to lay, lay the foundation, I was always trying every glute exercise imaginable. And back then, glute activation, low load glute activation was popular. The strength coaches all started doing it. And they were like, before your workout, you should activate the glutes. They're prone to inhibition. They, they typically shut down with people, which I don't agree with anymore. I used to preach that, but uh, I've changed my opinion over time. Um, but yeah, they would before the workout, you do like, say, glute bridges. You do like 10 or 20 glute bridges you could do 50 to hundred, but you just did 10 trying to squeeze your glutes at the top, you know, and that would activate them before the workout, which would then theoretically enhance your subsequent performance on squats and other lifts, you know, but I try, I remember trying glute bridges. And I'm like, God, this, this, I feel like this has, I remember I, cause like some of my favorite authors on teenage and like Eric Cressy and people were writing about him. And I'm like, you know, I, I just devoured everything these guys wrote and I got on the floor and did them, and I'm like, this this has potential, but it's just too light. But I I feel this unique glute contraction, unlike any other exercise, but it's too light. So I think if it weren't for that, like some of these coaches, you know, back then I was I followed this straight. I was always been a bodybuilder, but also loved the strength coaching side of things. And um, so if it weren't for that, I don't know, I don't think I would have come up with it. But I was watching UFC fights. This was October 10th, 2006. Uh, Tito Ortiz was fighting Ken Shamrock. There was a third fight. I didn't care who won. I just didn't want it to be like a quick first round, like, you know, fight. I wanted it to last the distance or something. And both sides to be like hugging each other, being like, wow, it was an amazing fight. But Tito Ortiz quickly got on top of Ken Shamrock and, and uh, was in his guard, but he was just punching him, you know, like ground and pounding him. And I was like, God, why isn't Frank trying to, escape why isn't he bucking his hips do something you know i thought back to you know i have a twin identical twin brother we fought every day of our lives and we'd always straddle each other i didn't know you know in, in mma that's called full mount well we'd always straddle straddle each other and you'd be like like we didn't punch in the face we were kids but we would like dig your knuckle into their sternum and stuff and like just torture them and then eventually you'd get so mad when you're on the bottom you would get so pissed off. You would buck so hard and you finally buck them off of you and, and get them off. And, and that is one of the escapes in like Brazilian jiu-jitsu to try to like bump your hips and try to create some room to escape. But anyway, when I was watching the fight, I was like, I wonder why he's not even trying. Maybe his glutes are weak. Now I know more about MMA. It's more complicated than that. But my rationale back then was if his glutes were freakishly strong from that position, he would probably be able to escape. There should be an exercise to help strengthen that, that motion, that movement. And I was like, well, how could you do that? And I'm watching the fight and I'm like, my mind starts wandering. How could you do that? Well, I can't be like 
have a training partner straddle me. I can't be like my buddy Rob, like, hey, Rob, will you straddle me? I'm going to bust out 50 reps, you know, like <laughs> with you on top of me. But for obvious reasons, like you can't do that. So that, I knew that would never get popular um, in, in, in gyms, at least. <laughs> and so like, how else could you add load? How could you? And then I'm like, another flaw is that it's a short range of motion. How could you add range of motion? So the original idea was actually more range of motion and then a terrible way to add load. Basically, I put my back up on a, a glute ham developer. It's like a, think of a back extension with a rounded pad. And then my feet up on a reverse hyper, think of like a high tabletop that's cushioned. And I put them like a few feet away from each other, put my back on the rounded pad, my feet up on the top of the reverse hyper so I could sink my hips way down deep. But to add load, I, put it, I used a dip belt. And I put four 45-pound plates because that's what a man weighs around 180 pounds. And I started going all the way down, all the way up, all the way down and like pausing for a second. And I think I got to around 14 reps and I felt like my glute was going to pull. Like I felt like I was going to pull my glute. I was working so hard. And, and I remember just getting off of it going, oh, my God, this, this is what I've been waiting for. I always wanted to have an exercise because back then I did squats, I did deadlifts, I did lunges, I did back extensions, I did, I used the bands, but I never felt like, like a movement where like my glutes, my entire glutes were just working so hard that they were the limiting factor. Like you ended the set when your glutes fatigued, massively fatigued, you know? So <clears throat> that's when I went outside and I, I'm not a very spiritual or like religious guy at all. I just went outside and I looked into the sky. I remember I looked up, like I was in my, my garage gym and I, I went out to the front yard and I looked up and I went, from this point forward, my whole life is going to change. My whole life from this point, imagine, imagine thinking of something and then like going out to the garage, trying it, and 15 minutes later going, my whole life is going to do, a, 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 not a 180, but my whole life is now going in this direction. I'm going to spend the rest of my life making this movement popular. And it actually took me a couple of years to think of just the straight up barbell hip thrust using a bench. Like we used more range of motion, and I, but I, that's when I started writing. I was like, I got to wait for people to do this. I invented a machine that lets you do it my way, but I'm like, this movement will never become popular if you have to buy some $1,000 machine in order to do it. So how can I teach the masses how to do it from their gym? And that's when I thought of the barbell hip thrust off the bench, and the rest and is history. And everything has changed from there. Now people all over the world are performing that exercise every day. And I wanted to ask as a first question, for somebody that's, say, getting started in the gym and trying to do the hip thrust for the first time, what would your best cues and tips be for that, for that person? Well, okay, so this is hard to answer because I've had people who needed to start with body weight mm -hmm. and I've had people start off their first session using 315 for, okay, so I'll tell you two crazy stories. One, I'm in New Zealand, I'm getting my PhD, uh, living in Auckland, in Takapuna, I just got my place right on the beach and I there's a CrossFit literally like like one minute walk from my place and I just want to train there I don't want to do CrossFit but I love CrossFit gyms yeah so I go to this guy I'm like I'll train there at night can I just have a key and he's like where do I know you and I'm like uh I don't know maybe you've read my blog he's like you're Brett Contreras oh my god I was reading your blog today he's like I'll give you a key but you have to train me once so I'm like yo this guy is from Zimbabwe he's jacked huge buff jack dude and he squats like I think he squatted and deadlifted like around like four like 495 like almost 500 but I watch and his squat his deadlift was so upright it's almost very squatty it's not a hinge and so I'm like I think you'd benefit a lot from from doing hip thrusts and, and back extensions he so I taught him glute bridges not first I mean they didn't have like nice benches to do hip thrust. So I had him do glute bridges and I put 135 on the bar. So 60 kgs around. He can't budget. I'm like, what? He cannot budget. So I'm like, come on, push. I'm like, try. I think I can like encourage him. I realize it's too heavy. So I take the bar off and I'm like, do body weight. So I'm like, all right, he's doing body weight glute bridges. And you know, when someone looks when they're like maxing out, they're trembling all over. He's trembling from a bodyweight glute bridge. 
I had him do five reps and he's trembling. This guy could squat and deadlift 500 pounds. He's trembling from a five rep max glute bridge or a five rep glute bridge. So I was like, okay, I had him do three sets of five, but I said, all right, then I tried to teach him. I wanted to see if it was a fluke. I had him do back extensions, but the way I teach them with the rounded upper back and the feet flared, same thing. He gets to the top. He's like convulsing. So I just said, look, I said, I want you to do like three sets of 10. Maybe you can't do it at first, but basically do three sets of 10 of both of these every day for a month, every day for one month. Well, one month later, he's like, this guy loved me just from doing body weight, glute bridges and back extensions, really squeezing the top. He put 60 pounds on his deadlift. So like, yeah, like, like 25 kgs on his deadlift in one month without even focusing on deadlifts. This had such weak. Now, did he have weak glutes? I think he had strong glutes in the stretch position. You have to have strong glutes to get the squat out of the hole and get the deadlift off the ground, but not for locking out. So he had weak glutes at lockout. So anyway, that's one extreme. Okay. Now I'll tell you the other extreme. I, I was trained at this gym in uh, Tempe called Revolution. And uh, these guys are these big, badass powerlifters. And I learned a ton training there through these guys. It was awesome. Great, great for the time in my life where I wanted to learn more about powerlifting and about getting as strong as possible. These guys were total beasts. But there was this guy named Steve, and he had never, he had never done a hip thrust before. And he sits down. I, 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 I brought a hip thruster to the gym. And the guys were, you know, start doing hip thrusts. They did a lot of band hip thrusts, especially. They loved warming up their glutes before they did squats. They loved doing it as glute activation. But I put 315 on the bar, and Steve decides to just do 20 reps. He's never done a hip thrust. He did 315 for 20, his very first time doing them. And I'm like, this guy could become a freak. Like, three, and he did it with good form. Like, you could tell he was using his glutes. He wasn't hyperextending his spine or anything. So I bet you he could have done a 500-pound hip thrust his very first time doing them, you know? And so you got – that's that. so I just told you of two powerlifters – well, yeah, two, two powerlifters or – I don't – the other guy was a CrossFitter, but two guys involved in strength sports, one extreme where the guy needed to do body weight and one where the guy could do 500 pounds right from the get-go. So I can't tell someone where they start. Yeah. Some people need to start with body weight. Usually I start women off with around 65 pounds. But here's the deal. When you train them, it's so nice because you get them on a bench. You get them in a position. You go come up to the top. Then you pick up the bar and you set it in their lap. They're already in good position. It's so easy to teach it that way. And they do 65 pounds and you have them go down and you teach them to, you know, the proper form, move Keep, keep your head looking forward, move more, more from the sternum down, post your pelvic tilt at lockout, and then they get, you know, 12 reps. And then you have them do three sets of 12, and the glutes are burning like crazy. Sometimes they might start with 95 pounds. Sometimes it might be 135, but yeah, it's usually between somewhere between body weight and 135. What's nice is when you start at 135, well, that's like 60 kgs uh, with a big plate. That's a big plate. Yeah. Now you don't have to start with someone. Okay, when you when you have when you can't do sixty kgs or one thirty five, you have to have you have, you have to have someone set it on you. Like in this instance, we have a training partner, a trainer, or you have to deadlift the bar up, stand up with the bar, sit down on the bench, and then slide down. It's like more complicated. Yeah. It seems weird, <laughs> but once you can do sixty kgs or one thirty five, those are the big boy plates. Now you can sit. You sit down, you roll the bar over your legs, and then you can kind of crawl up and get into position and then thrust. So that's the nice thing. But my tips would be don't – I think that's the number one mistake people make is they see people on Instagram using all this weight, especially strong dudes. You know, right off the bat, there are a lot of powerlifters that the oh, hip thrusts are stupid. I don't feel them in my glutes. That's weird because every dude even – I mean, I've trained some strong dudes over, over the last you know decade – Every one of them felt their glutes like crazy, but they thought they could start off with like 500 because they see someone else doing it. No, you need to start off with like, you know, if you're a strong dude, start off with like 185, you know, and and feel the glutes and then work your way up gradually. But that's, 
that's the big, big flaw people make is uh, starting off too heavy. And I think men and women have opposite problems there. Men will start off too heavy and then they heave. They don't lock out. They arch their back too much. They feel it in their back. They don't, they feel in their hammies. They don't, whatever. They don't feel in their glutes because they're going too heavy. A lot of women will start too light. They're like, oh, I could never do that. And that's one thing that's nice about me is if the, if the woman has experience, I'll be like, here, I want you to try this. And it's, it's, it's 135. It's 60 kgs. And I'm like, try this. And they're like, oh, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, just try it. If you can't do it, you lift it six inches off the ground and you put it back down and no big deal. And lo and behold, they can do it. They just didn't think they could. Hey guys, just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by NewZest. NewZest has some of the most advanced nutritional products on the market and every ingredient is backed by science. I use their greens powder, which is called Good Green Vitality, every single day without fail. And honestly, within about four weeks of starting to take it, I noticed that my energy levels increased dramatically. Not only that, but my sleep also improved and my skin as well. So I am a big advocate of it and absolutely love it. It's a food-based supplement and contains more than 75 vitamins, minerals and essential nutrients. It also tastes amazing, which I personally think is very rare for a greens powder. So if you want to try it yourself, you can use the code EMPOWER20, that is E-M-P-O-W-E-R 20, for 20% off by visiting their website, which is newzest.com or newzest.com.au. That's N-U-Z-E-S-T, and I'll pop the link in the show notes below also. One thing I want to, I actually had a few questions on that, but the first one that comes to mind is you mentioned about activation exercises and how your opinion on that has changed. Uh, do you think there's any value in doing like some banded glute work before your training or doing activations? And if so, in what sort of rep range? So here's the deal. My powerlifting friends that I mentioned in Tempe, they love doing that. They swore by it. A lot of them thought, like, if I do this stuff before I squat, it, I don't feel it in my hips as much. It makes my hips feel better. So I'm not going to tell them you're doing it wrong. But I train mostly women. They're mobile. They're fine. They don't hurt. They don't have pain. They don't have to spend a lot of time warming up. So no, I don't do any of it. You know what I do do? I want them doing active, like, like you know, dynamic mobility drills, which are lunges, goblet squats. Just go deep stretch the muscle, you know, like uh, under load, but not a static stretch. Just do things that move your muscles to long muscle lengths. Three sets of 10 bodyweight squats, maybe some lunges, maybe some leg swings. But if they have a warm-up routine they like, I don't mess with it. I'll do your thing and then let me know when you're ready and I'll train you. But if they're new, I just be like, do three sets of 10 bodyweight squats, resting about 40 seconds in between sets, and then do some lunges, do a goblet squat, whatever. Now you're ready to go. Now you start on the exercise and you start, because here's the deal. Think of all the movements that you do for glute activation. You might do glute bridges. You might do bird dogs or quadruped hip extensions. You might do uh, lateral band walks. Well, we're doing all those movements with load. So you're going to do lighter weight to warm up and then you do your working sets. We're strengthening the same patterns, but we're, we're getting higher glute activation because you're using good form pushing some weight, utilizing progressive overload, we don't need to do that. And why, why do people make glutes so unique? Do you do pec activation before your bench, you know, do we do shoulder activation? Do we do lat activation? It's the only muscle that people do glute activation. I do think the glutes are, yeah, I do think the <laughs> glutes are unique point. in some ways, but I do think some of the hysteria around them has been overhyped big time, like oh, you have glute amnesia, everyone's glutes are inhibited because you sit all day long and your hip flexors get shortened, you get adaptive shortening of the hip flexors, you get reciprocal inhibition of the gluteals, then you get synergistic dominance of the hamstrings and they get overused and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's all just made up stuff. I think it's all just use, disuse. You don't use them a lot, they atrophy and you gotta, they're deconditioned. You just got to train them and get stronger with things. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say if somebody had problems, say, activating their glutes on one side as opposed to the other say they were feeling like one side working when they're doing their hip thrust but not the other that's a question i had from somebody for this podcast um so what would you do in that case this is a very frequent in fact i'm filming a. I think i'm filming a youtube video on this tonight so yeah yep this is a very commonly asked question that i get all the time 
And again, I'm going to tell you some stories here. So I trained this dancer, uh, like, yeah, stripper. Like she, she had the craziest glute imbalance I've ever seen. Like one glute was massive. The other was tiny. And the opposite erector was massive and the other erector was tiny. So bizarre. And she thinks it's because she, for like 10 years, she did lap dances, always sitting on one side. She like she had one glute that looked better, so she always leaned into that or something. I don't know that that was her rationale, but I could not. I'm the glute guy. I could not fix this glute imbalance. I mean, I went from like just doing you know, and you, I really, I used to write articles on this. I had the two to one method: do two times more volume for the weaker side than the other side. Then I had do uh, in in glute lab. I wrote in my book glute lab. I wrote about this: do single leg ankle weight reverse hypers every day just for the weaker side and then for this woman i went crazy and i had like one bilateral day and two unilateral days where she only worked the weaker side so think of training the glutes three times a week one day she would actually do like bilateral squats and hip thrusts etc but the other two days it was just only glute work for the weaker side and i still didn't make much of a difference it's like I was just dumbfounded. And this happens when you train enough people. When you ever get the confident trainer that thinks they they know everything, or the one that the trainer that speaks in black and white, they those guys don't really train people. They sit at their computer. You know, they just pretend like they do. Because when you when you actually work with people all day long for enough years, you don't have all the answers. You're just mystified. You know. So if I what if I had her only train the weaker glute for a full year and never even touch the other glute? Could I? normalize them i don't i don't know i don't know it's crazy but that's what i've had to do in some circumstances it just depends on the degree of imbalance you can do the two to one method you can do single leg ankle weight reverse hypers or you can go to the extremes of only training the weaker side it just depends on how severe the imbalance is but one thing i will tell you is imbalances are normal it's functional think about golfers and baseball or like in, in martial arts you're gonna have one side that's stronger you don't that's not a weakness you don't go oh my god i need to you don't perceive that as a weakness you're like if you're a right-handed baseball you know you swing right-handed in baseball you don't go i've got this massive imbalance i can produce this much power in my right-handed swing but not only this much power in my left-handed swing you don't care about your left-handed swing you want your right-handed swing to be as great as possible Think of any you know, racket athlete that swings or a football quarterback. They're going to throw much farther with the one hand than the other hand. Quit thinking you're imbalanced. It's, funct- it's, advantageous, it's advantageous functionally to be you grew up kicking with your right leg. You know, your left hip extensor is sometimes stronger and your right hip flexor is some, uh, stronger. That's very normal. So it's normal to be imbalanced. It's not... You shouldn't just be in perfect balance, but it's not normal to have a crazy imbalance. You want to converge them a little bit. So don't freak out if you've got a little bit of imbalance or you feel one side working more than the other. As long as it doesn't look crazy different, then you're probably okay. That's a, a good way of looking at it. And I think, yeah, everyone needs to understand that your your body is not going to be perfectly symmetrical and there's always going to be some degree of imbalances. Um, another question I had relating back to your original stories there was... With people who uh, start to feel hip thrust more in their hamstrings or in other areas, would that be mostly, do you think, due to going too heavy on the weight or technique? It's it's both. Like it could be either one or a combination of both. But yeah, one thing I like doing, I miss, I miss, uh, you know, before COVID, I was giving seminars frequently and I miss giving seminars because it gets me a chance to kind of show off. I like to you know, I'm bored. I like to show off my skills and it's a challenge. I'll go, who in here does not feels like they don't feel their glutes much when they hip thrust. And, you know, I'll get a few people that raise their hand and I want to work with them. I want to see, I want to put my, my skills to the test and I'll see if I can tweak with their form and get them to feel their glutes. And I almost always can, but there, I have my tool, my, my tool bag, you know, I can try to use a shorter bench, a taller bench, I can try to put their feet farther away or closer. I can have them widen their knees and abduct a little more or less. I can have them um, I can have them try the hinge method or the scoop method. Um, like one's a more posture pelvic tilt. 
The other is more hinging your torso as a whole unit. Um, I can, you know, you can slap a, a, a glute loop around their legs and that obviously helps them feel their glutes more right away. But you also try different, uh, like have them do high reps or drop set and people typically feel their glutes very well. It's just that they, maybe they weren't pushing themselves hard or something, you know? So yeah, lots of tricks. And I always think it's funny because I might be like, okay, let's try this. And they're like, no, that's worse. And they're like, okay, let's try this. No, I feel, no, that's, I don't feel that at all. Let's try this. Nope. Try this. Nope. Then I'm like, okay, try this. And they're like, yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I feel like you're a genius. And it's like, I failed six times, but the seventh time I figured out and they love me for it. <laughs> Got there in the end. <laughs> And I, I guess that's the lesson then to just move, um, play around with like your positioning for the hip thrust if you're not feeling in the right places because everyone's going to be a little bit different. But then also like, do I always, I don't even pay attention when I do military press, I know it works my delts well, but I kind of feel it everywhere. I don't stop the set because my delts are burning. Like I kind of feel it all over in my back muscles, my upper back muscles, my triceps, my you know, when I do squats, I don't know, I kind of feel it more in my quads. And I don't know, it's like, I don't care. I, you know, people care too much about glutes. It's like, you know, you should, that's why I like promoting this new strong lifting I'm involved in. It's like, train for strength and your physique tends to come around, you know, people care so much about feeling their glutes and getting the burn and getting a pump that it might sometimes detract from just get strong with good form. Some days you're going to feel it more than others. It's not the end of the world, but yeah, you're going to work your glutes if you're using good form and, and, and going up in weight. It just might be that you feel your quads. Your, it's like your quads are knocking on the door so hard that you don't, <laughs> your glutes are locking, you know, like your hamstrings. It doesn't mean your glutes aren't working. You're just being overpowered by something else, but they'll still get bigger, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I like what you said about train for strength and your physique will come around because that's something I always talk to my clients about as well, not to be super focused on how your body looks and getting to look a certain way or getting to a certain level of leanness, but more so to focus on your training and your strength because that's what's going to result in your physique changing, but also build your confidence as well. And it's fun. You end up liking you end up liking the strength gains. You, you don't start because you're like, I want to hip thrust three plates per side for 10 reps or something, you know? But when you get there, you start being proud of your strength. And when you're proud of your strength, like me, I've got some chunk on my midsection. I got some belly fat. I don't care. I can deadlift 635 pounds. You know what I mean? Like you look at these, uh, these what is that, pages? Three almost 300 like 290 i don't know but um you you start to feel like an athlete like look at the, a lot of athletes not all of them are five percent body fat you know a lot of them are um you know you know they carry some but they're they strut their stuff because they're the best in the world yeah it's, it's amazing how when you shift your focus and just start to focus on yeah strength everything changes um, uh, next question I have for you, and I have two more. Hopefully, we still have a little bit of time. Um, two more questions for you. Um, for you, my clients are always late, so. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, um, next question is, what would you say the most underrated glute exercise out there is? You know, I just posted this to uh, my ins my first reel, my first Instagram reel. I'm trying to not get a, become a dinosaur and stay relevant hard. Cause you know, I, I TikTok, you know, you want me to join? I thought TikTok was just dancing, but I guess you can, it's educational as well. But anyway, I just posted this and it was the, uh, the, uh, the dead stop dual elevated single leg hip thrust. And what I mean by that is it's a single leg hip thrust, but in, you're not just back elevated onto a couch or whatever. You're also, your foot is elevated onto like a coffee table, or you can use two benches of roughly similar height. But you have to, the deal is you come up, you pause for a second at the top, you come down, your butt, you're, the bench isn't too tall that you can't come all the way down and be on your butt. Your butt is on the ground for like a second. You start every rep from a dead stop. 
that's a really tough body weight exercise to do. If you do those right, just set a 12 is tough, you know. But um, I actually, you know, that's a hard thing to say because it's our our industry is very segmented. It's like some people in some circles they worship hip thrust. So the hip thrust is exalted as the best exercise for your glutes. In other circles, you know, a lot of powerlifting circles like hip thrusts are stupid, just squat. And, and so it's like some some a lot of men think bands and the abduction machine is stupid. And then whereas a lot of women think it's the great think it's all you ever need to do. And so uh Actually, question on, question on that for you, because <laughs> I know this is going to be something that comes to mind for a lot of people. And a lot of people, women in particular, think that by doing banded work, they'll be able to build strong glutes, like without adding weight and doing weighted exercises. So, all right. It's popular now because this is what our industry does. It's this pendulum swing. Like this guy, Alan Cosgrove was the first guy to notice this. It was like, the bands got so popular now there's this counter bands suck they're the worst thing and that's what some of these i'm now being a now there's guys saying that abduction doesn't even work your glutes you they're saying they're they're so ridiculous they're saying it doesn't work your glutes it works the muscles under your glutes your hip external rotators and everyone's just so stupid they feel this sensation but it's not really your glutes it's your hip external rotators which it's not but there's now saying that it's obvious that i just popularize these but i take advantage of that phenomenon to sell these bands and i'm just trying to rip people off and they don't really do anything and that's not true some people when they start incorporating bands they see great results like their glutes grow i mean i can t- i can if i put a post and said ladies like how many of your glutes grew once you got a a, a glute loop there would be a lot of people there and what, what are you going to say they're all imagining things right because women couldn't possibly know what they're doing and these guys won't listen to the anecdotes. They don't listen to the women. They don't, they don't even care because they're not, again, they're ruled by jealousy. They're not trying to seek the truth. So, that, so it's come the other way. So I think bands are nice, but they, they're not a substitute for, like you can't just be like, okay, I'm just going to do a 15-minute band glute workout a day and get amazing glutes. you got to get strong glutes with hip extension, with barbell, like, no, you can get nice glutes with just body weight, but you got to learn the progressions. If you get to a point where you can bust out 20 pistol squats and, you know, 20, three sets of 20 single leg hip thrusts with a three second pause at the top, uh, and you get to redoing sideline hip raises and frog pumps and X ring sideline hip abductions, and you're doing those consistently, you're going to have nice glutes. It's much easier to get nice glutes just getting really strong at hip thrusts and lunges and back extensions, et cetera. But um, here's the deal. Here's the problem. These, and this, and I I don't think I'll ever be able to battle this phenomenon in strength and conditioning. It's more rampant now than ever. It's always been an issue, but basically it's like, uh, you know, if you have amazing glute genetics, Think of this like Jen Selter. She was the first woman to start taking pictures of herself, called them belfies. She like, the term was made because of her. Jen Selter, she started taking selfies of her butt. So they called them belfies. She had 13 million followers like, I don't know, six years ago when I first started Instagram or five years, whatever it was. And uh, she's just got such a nice, shaped butt she just has to stay she was young she just has to stay active and her glute workout is like crazy it's like body weight stuff and wimpy stuff and she just does that and her butt looks amazing and what's nice is she's not doing heavy heavy squats and heavy deadlifts and like back extensions with a you know heavy dumbbell or something so um so she doesn't like so she doesn't get too big a leg. So it's the diff discrepancy. She's got this leg like this and this butt like this. There's a big discrepancy. Some of the girls who build legs easy but not glutes easy, they get big legs and then their glutes don't grow that much. It almost makes this, you know, you you need the glute to pop out more than the than the the, the legs. Like they need to be uh, they can't be overpowered by the legs, and that's a problem with someone with without the best glute genetics. So I guess here's what I'm trying to say. 
when you get the, the girls with the nicest glute genetics, they don't know, they don't know enough. They don't train enough people. It's not their fault. They're completely clueless about strength and conditioning. They think that everyone can get glutes like theirs because they don't know how important genetics is. So they will tell you, just do this, you know, just do this wimpy glute exercise. Like their routine will be like band work and body weight stuff and wimpy stuff. And, you know, they never had to get strong because they have amazing glute genetics. Well, that doesn't work for like, you know, 85% of people that doesn't work. That works for the top 10%. But that's why it's tough for me because I train some of these girls with the most amazing glutes and they don't even... It's almost like an inverse relationship between their knowledge and their glute, like their their genetic glute ability to develop glutes. The girls who I have that develop glutes, so and I have some of these girls. I could show you pictures of some of the girls I train. Their butts are phenomenal. They don't have to learn as much because they don't have to try so hard. Like, why did I become the world's glute expert, the glute guy? Because I had no butt. I mean, my back went right into my legs. No glutes at all. Nothing. My pants just completely. There was nothing to rest the jeans on like nothing i had to learn everything possible and now i have decent glutes like when i'm naked if i have a girlfriend she'll be like you you got a nice butt but i'm not turning heads like wow look at those guys glutes like they're not i don't look like some linebacker or something you know what i mean and i've worked out so freaking hard for the last i'm just glad i don't have you know you know no butt at all anymore i'm just glad i have something there but anyway I had to learn everything to become, to, to build glutes. Some of these people don't have to. So then they say, just do these band workouts. And then people go, oh, but so-and-so just does this. And that's not going to work on the masses. So it's kind of a frustrating situation. And it's the same with like bodybuilders who only train themselves. who don't train anyone. They just do this, do this. this they, their routine is what they recommend to others is what they do. Like what I recommend to others is very different than what I do because I train so many people. But the bodybuilders, they'll be like, do this. If they, if they write programs for people, they just write their workout, you know, and then they say, do, do, my, do my exact workout, you know. And like you said, it is a lot to do with genetics when it comes to glutes. I say 60% of it is genetics. 60% of it is genes. And then the other 40% is modifiable. But yeah, it's a, you got to work with a lot of people. You got to work with a lot of people to understand the differences in physiology, the differences in anatomy and biomechanics between different people and what exercise work for this person versus this person versus this person, what program design works better. That's why it's so fascinating though. It's, I, I have a, I've been, I've spent the last 30 years studying glutes and I still don't know. I still have so many unanswered questions that I'll probably never learn, but I'll get closer to it. Yeah. And the knowledge is helping us all. And the great thing is you were able to go from no glutes to having glutes by training them. So there's hope for everyone. <laughs> well, and I've got one more question for you. And my final question is, what would your top five exercises for glutes be? And how often should a person train glutes in the week? Two and one. Okay. Yeah, that's two questions. You, you're, you're getting sneaky there. So <laughs> Well, make sure I, I remember to answer the second one. Actually, the second one I just answered on YouTube uh, last night. We posted it. So um, how often should you train the glutes? Um, it, it's funny. And the answer was? Uh, well, I, it's funny. You got to watch it. I just posted it last night. But anyway, the short answer is three times a, uh, a week. The long answer is two to six times a week, depending on seven factors that I discuss. Gene, genetics being the most important, but how you come, how you can recover, but also things like exercise selection, uh, volume, load, effort, um, intent, and specialization. I think I listed seven, but anyway, watch that YouTube video. And uh, I'm not trying to just plug my YouTube video. I'm trying to. Um, I got clients that are coming to train. So anyway, now you asked about the five best exercises. I would say hip thrusts are my favorite. Okay. But not every, I mean, not, not all my clients love the barbell hip thrust, but some of them like the band hip thrust. Some of them, the landmine single leg hip thrust. Some of them like the, um, they like barbell plus bands where you attach the glute loops around the bar and then my hip thruster unit and they pause at the top. It's like, I can, I can find a hip thrust for everyone, you, you know, but that was, I would say is number one. Now, number two, I would say is the lunge. But, it, you know, again, we got to find the type of lunge. Is it a Smith machine reverse lunge? Is it a 
dumbbell walking lunge? Is it a deficit? Some some type of lunge. You can always find one that works well for, for the person, okay? Then next up, I would say the back, the 45 degree hyper. And again, you can do body weight, like rounded back with feet flare. That's what I like. But you can do them with a dumbbell. You can do it with a band. You can just do three sets of 30 with body weight. There's, I can find someone. Okay. I also think I'd throw the, now I, I would throw the deadlift in there, but I don't like recommending deadlifts for a lot of people because so many people hurt themselves when you start getting stronger with it. And it's like, does the deadlift add anything that the squat and the lunge and the hip thrust can't do? I don't think so. I think it's just, but I do love deadlifts. I love powerlifting. I love, I it's a strong lift. My, my sport that I'm trying to get popular, but I can't because of COVID right now. But anyway, um, I don't, I wouldn't include the deadlift now. I would. So I don't include the deadlift because of like the injury things. And I don't include the cable kickback, even though a lot of women love it. Men don't tend to love it because they get so strong. It's like the front, you feel it on the front leg hip flexor a lot when you get strong. So I don't include that, but I do, um, I do like the, um, I want to, I always try and throw an abduction movement in here. I wouldn't think that it's not that I think that the seated hip abduction machine builds your glutes as good as the hip extension exercise. It's that I think in terms of it, it can build the upper glutes a little bit better. Like the squat tends to work the lower glute more, not the upper glute as much. So you need an abduction movement in there for the upper glutes. And so to see, I like the seated hip abduction machine. I like the cable standing hip abduction, but in general, I listed off some exercises, but we like, as I hope I impressed upon you, is the variations of these. We're always performing the same movement patterns, just different variations throughout the year. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brett. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. Before we finish up, can you just let everyone know where they can find you if they aren't already following you? Well, I'm on, I'm mostly like, developed, like devoted the last few years to Instagram. So my Instagram is at Brett Contreras one Brett Contreras was taken. This guy's only posted a few times. He's probably like, let me give her a check to Instagram. But if he does, he's probably like, why am I being tagged by so many people obsessed with books? But anyway, um, um, it's at Brett Contreras one If you don't remember that, you can type in the glute guy and I come up. From there, I have my link tree that has everything, like, you know, my all my other social media platforms and all that other stuff, subscribe to the... And I'll pop the link to the YouTube video that you referenced in the show notes as well so everyone can have a look at that. But yeah, I if you, if you don't remember Brett Contreras, you can always just type into Google Glute Guy and you'll be flooded with things. Because I've, uh, I've been in the industry since... I think I've, I wrote my first blog and wrote my first article in 2009. So it's been 12 years of educating, but before that I had been a trainer for 10 years without ever even, back then you were, you never started writing, you never started social media, started writing right away. You had to become, you had to like have expertise. So I was a trainer for 10 years before I ever even wrote about it, you know, wrote anything. And you know what I loved about your story uh, was that you used to be a teacher before because I used to as well. Really? What'd you teach? At primary school. So little kids. All the subjects. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in elementary ed because I was like, I just love knowledge. I love one thing about me. I took like, I took like, I think I've taken like two years extra of college, just of class I just paid for by myself because I love learning. I freaking love knowledge, you know, I love, I'm interested in science. I think it must be a thing with teachers. You just always want to learn more. Always, I would. Wouldn't it be nice to just be a full-time student and be able to pay for like, yeah, but anyway. And not have to pay for it. Yeah, not, have to, not have to have a job, but um, just to be a lifelong student. But yeah, I I took so many extra classes. I just love learning. But I, as a teacher, I taught high school math and loved it. But it was my master's degree, which I did in secondary education, cur- curriculum instruction, which, I, by the way, I think gives me an advantage with my social media and because uh, I come at things like an educator. But anyway, it was during that where I turned in a project on exercise science, not math. And my professor calls me up. Like, how many professors call you on the phone? This professor called me up and said, Brett, this is like by far and away the best project I've ever received. You need to pursue your passion. I'm sure you're a good math teacher, but this is obviously your passion. Life's too short. And here's the crazy thing. 
I tried looking this woman up. She changed my life. She planted that seed and like two years later, I left. I, when she planted that seed, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I got the wheels in motion. I got 10 paying clients paying me 300 bucks a month, you know, on the side. And I knew these were like loyal. I knew they'd come with me if I signed a lease to a gym. But I, I formed a business plan. I ordered equipment. I bought $20,000 worth of equipment and that I could use to start, to, you know, there was in my garage at first. But without her, I don't... I don't know if I would have ever, but I tried looking her up to thank her and I can't find her anywhere. It's like she's, they don't keep records of that. So, and I don't remember her name. I wish so bad I could find her. She changed my life. But yeah, I loved teaching for the autonomy. It's kind of like you don't, you get your own little, you're the, you, you know, you have your own little kingdom in there and you don't get watched too much. You can kind of do your own thing. I got, I've felt like, an, you know, like an entrepreneur, I can do my own thing and succeed or not, but I don't like being micromanaged, you know, as a teacher, you're not micromanaged too much. It carries over well to coaching as well, because obviously you want to give your clients the knowledge and skills to be able to do their own thing going forward and not have to rely on somebody all the time. Absolutely. It does. And you get good at like complimenting and like, I always like my clients are so hard on themselves. And I'm like, look, you know, you don't go from A to Z, you go from A to B to C, like, look at what you did today. Look at what you've done this week. Like you're doing, you're doing good people. You get good at complimenting people and stuff. So yeah, a hundred percent. Well, I'm sure we could continue chatting for ages and ages, but I know you have a client coming up next. So thank you very much for your time today, Brett, and for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And we can do it again down the road. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. And I hope you enjoyed that interview episode with Brett Contreras. As always, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to share to Instagram and tag me at Actively Aoife, tag Brett at Brett Contreras 1. Also, all of the resources and links that we mentioned in the episode will be available on the show notes, which are below and also on my website, www.empowerher.fitness. And that's how you can get in touch with me if you have any requests or suggestions for future episodes, or if you do want to get in touch regarding coaching also. Finally, if you absolutely loved today's episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate if you can leave me a review and rating as it does help to get the word out there about the show and help with visibility when people are searching for podcasts. And that's it from me for this week. I appreciate you all and thank you for listening. Speak to you guys in the next episode.